0: So we're in a new series, and I know that like it's sometimes we like to take a breath. Sometimes like, oh, can we have a couple of one-offs before we jump into the next series? Here's the thing. I'm not going to apologize for not doing that for you, okay? Sorry. Here's, here's why. I believe God has us succinctly moving through something very important right now. And today I want to share with you just how deeply personal what we're about to talk about is. We're going to journey through, and we're going to really kind of look at Genesis and look at the journey God took Abram on. Okay, Abraham. How many of you know Abraham? You've heard of this before? Okay, yeah. Because we've, we've made him somewhat a celebrity. I mean, that was definitely evident in Hebrews, uh, in, in Judaism. You look at Hebrews, we talk about how he was like... He was this, there was a covenant made with him and there's the Abrahamic covenant as a part of the covenant promises and covenant theology. And that's important. And I mean, even like historically, this guy's really important. And then even today we teach our kids to sing about it. It's like, father Abraham have many fun. you know, like, and that's exactly how you sing that song, right? I hate that song. No, I love it. It's awesome. We're going to do it in worship next week. Here's the thing, I want us to understand that even as important as he was, I mean, even the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, hey, Abraham's our father. He said, no, if Abraham was your father, you'd recognize the one that you're speaking with. He's not your father. So they wanted to identify with this man. What I want us to do is identify with this man, but I want us to identify with how deeply normal he was, how sinful he was. How he made mistakes and God still used him. Hello? And so, so Psalm 37 5 has become a really important verse for me. And the psalmist writes it succinctly and in an important order. It says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will bring it to pass. We all the time want to flip the order on this verse because we live in an immediate, uh, immediately gratifying society. And how many of you growing up used the double dog dares and the prove it, you know what I'm saying? We always ask God to prove it, okay? But the reality is God in walking with him through faith and fear, there's a very thin tightrope that we walk, okay? I want to be really clear about this. There's a really thin tightrope we walk when it comes to walking in faith and responding in fear, And I think that the reason the psalmist wrote it specifically in this way is because he's defining a faith walk. We have to be willing to commit to the Lord before we know where he's leading us. How many of you have ever packed for a trip, a journey, to a new place, a place you've never been before, okay? But when you got there, your expectations were let down of that place. You Know what I'm talking about? Raise your hands, okay? Why did you have expectations, Are those even fair? Because you've never been there before. This is a new place, but yet we do this to ourselves all the time. I want to share with you what I mean when I say it's deeply personal. I had to cling to this verse, Psalm 37, 5, for the better part of 10 years ago. I knew that God had called me to plant a church years before I did it. Sometimes God speaks, and it's not yet, right? But when He does speak, and it is now, it gets, you know, a little unnerving, especially when that means he's going to call you from some place that is familiar. And he's going to call you from some place that is, that is comfortable. And he's going to call you from a place that is safe. And, and quite honestly, when, let me make this even more clear. My wife and I left a neighborhood that we loved. We were going into a community that we didn't know. We left a consistent job. We left a consistent salary. We left a safe school zone where our kids, our oldest, was about to turn five and go into kindergarten. We had three kids, all five and under. And, and here's the thing. It was then God called us at a time to move into a place that was really expensive at the height of the American recession in, in 2009. We were to walk away as we're seeing hundreds of houses stay on the market for years at a time, and nobody has any money. But we're going to leave our secure paycheck and go ask all the people that have no money to support us so that we can eat. Hello? And then, four months before we open our doors and and answer and say, hey, here's the gospel to this community that God has called us into, four months before that happens... God hits the city that He's called us to serve with the greatest natural disaster the city of Nashville had ever seen. Anyone remember 2010? So now you have a people who have no money because the recessions hit, and they're wildly uncertain about what their future looks like because we're all backed up and we've got water in our houses or mildew in our houses. It's left from all the water that displaced us all. And I'm walking in going, hey, God's called me to plant a church. Will you give to that? I know that you're not sure about your own thing right now. I know that you're not sure where you're going to sleep tonight or how you're going to pay for that next meal. But please invest in what is going on down here. Hello? The math was not great. That doesn't add up. It was wildly uncertain. But I want to tell you that I personally understand what it means to be asked to follow when you're uncertain what the destination will look like. And here's, here's what I want to remind us this morning as we begin. I know that we talk about streets of gold and mansions one day, and John wrote this in Revelation to kind of alliterate what it would be like to be in a place free of pain, suffering, death, and in the presence of God. And it was wildly different to talk about streets of gold versus walking on streets of dust when you're barefoot. Hello? But we don't know for certain if that's the way to look. Maybe, that's great. But what we do know or we're certain of is that heaven and the hereafter will be the very presence of God forever. And we'll be there in his presence. That's what we know. That's what we've been promised. And the question as we get into today, is that good enough? Abram was called out um, to, we're going to start, we're going to be in chapter 12, you can turn there, of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, but I've got to start and unpack this by setting it up by the end of chapter 11. It says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, his daughter in law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to a land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and then died in Haran. So here's what I want to say before we even get going here, okay? God called Abram out of Ur. Ur of the Chaldeans. This is his homeland. This is where he's from, okay? And in a day when it is um, just a third world country, you either have the rich or the poor. For them to have stuff, it means they were not amongst the poor. Abram was rich and his father's inheritance was wealthy, okay? He had a lot. And it says that Terah, his father, led them to leave Ur and to go towards Canaan. But they stopped in Haran and settled there, and that's where Haran would breathe his last. That's important because Abraham, as we get into it, we know that a covenant was established with Abraham. It means that his father led him to walk towards God, but the promise wasn't Terah's. It was Abraham's. And he was following as he had been taught, but Everything in his future was still wildly unknown. Now, some commentators believe that this interaction that we're about to get into in Genesis 12 is the first time that God has spoken to Abram. If that is true, then this voice that he's about to hear from is wildly unfamiliar as well. In this day, in ancient times, there were deities assigned to different geographic regions and people small g and so there was a god of ur that the people in the family of abram would have worshiped there was a god of haran the same in ur it is said i want to say just how comfortable his existence was there and this is our first point i'll just go ahead and bring it up god calls abram to leave comfort In Ur, it is said that in the relic of that city, they have found signs and proof that there was indoor plumbing in that city. Here's what I want to say. We deem in history the Babylonian civilization, the Babylonian empire, with being the ones who came up with indoor plumbing. In America, we don't have a long history. This is still, in the grand scheme of things, relatively new to us. Ur predated the Babylonian Empire by 1,600 years. So when I say that Abram left comfort, you need to understand the level of comfort Abram is leaving. He's rich with indoor plumbing and he's called to leave and go to Haran. And then God's going to call him out of there as well. It says, chapter 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Stop. That's all he has said to this point. That's it. He's going to explain himself, but here it is. God calls him from comfort to a land without a name and no destination definitive. And he says specifically, I'm going to call you out from this land, which has been assigned to other deities, as if to say that you'll have me and no one else. I'm going to call you out from the people that you're familiar with. Why? Because they worship their God and need to cut yourself off from that. I'm going to call you out from your father's inheritance because my inheritance for you will be even that much greater. But if If those commentators who say this might be the first conversation between Abram and God is true, then he's hearing this from someone that he's never spoken with before. So an unfamiliar voice has said, I'm going to be your God, and I'm going to lead you out of everything comfortable and everything familiar. Let's go. Who wants to sign up? How many of you would go, well, I would like a little more detail than that. God, give me something. Give me some kind of vision. Prove it in some sense. God, I double dog dare you. And Abram, verse 4, I'm going to come back and read just what he promised. It says, Abram went. Those words cannot be understated. That is a massive decision. It says in verse 2 I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him and Lot with him his nephew Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran he took his wife Sarai his nephew Lot all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan Abram passed through the land the side of Shechem to Morar and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land Jump ahead to verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. Okay. God has promised and called him out from comfort. And now he's promised that I am going to not only replenish you, all the people you left, I'm going to replenish you and give you a people. All the land you left, because everything up until now historically is a story of how the people have been driven from land. Okay? God is giving a land. I'm going to give you a land that is going to be yours. It's my promise to you and your people forever. And I'll be your God. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to open your wife's womb. That's how you're going to have a people. I'll bless you and anyone who blesses you will be blessed. Okay, I've left everything I know indoor plumbing. I am in a place where my dad has died and we have done pretty well, but I am asked to leave that inheritance behind. The people that I've become friends with behind. Taking only these who you've assigned and all that we have, we're going to go to a place and when we get to this land... which you've asked me to survey, I recognize there are people already in this land and it's barren. But this is going to be my gift. You've told me that my offspring will inherit this land for all time, but we've tried, we've seen all the doctors. My wife, she's barren. What kind of joke are you trying to pull here? You know, what is it you're asking me to do? And here's the thing. Second point, I can't, I can't say how big Abraham went really is, but let me say it like this. Abraham left despite comfort. He left comfort, but he left and followed and obeyed even despite comfort for when he got there, the land and the promise, the gift is barren. And he's told that he's going to have fruit from the barren loins of his 65 year old wife. From an unfamiliar voice where he left everything he knew and everyone he knew. Riches, wealth and status and inheritance. He left all of that for this. The promise that God will bring fruit from the barren. Who's ready to sign up? Who's ready to go. That God will bring fruit from the barren. Here's the thing. You can't tell someone else a promise that God will bring fruit from the barren if you haven't yourself experienced that. How many of you have learned from life's greatest teachers? Failure and pain. When we look around and the tides are huge and the circumstances seem insurmountable. And we go, God, where are you in this? He goes, don't worry. I'm doing a work. How many of you have a tendency to want to run? I can't hang. That's fine. If you're going to do it, I just, not me. Maybe I misheard you. Anyone ever second guessed God's leading of you when it didn't look the way you thought it might, even though you've never been there It doesn't look the way you thought it might when you got there. Anyone ever hightail it out? Anyone go, I can't do it. Not me. Here's the thing. Let's talk a little less ambiguous. Anyone here married, raise your hands. How many of you, that turned out the way you thought it would? (laughs) I was talking with the teenagers this morning over at Mount Juliet and they were talking about marriage. I said, Oh, marriage is beautiful. It's wonderful. It is God's gift. It is totally of God. It is freaking hard. <laughs> and that's just as honest as I can be. I looked at my wife after we've been married for a little bit. And uh, I looked at her in the heat of uh, <clears throat> conversation. <laughs> and I said, who are you? Like, where's the girl I dated? Where'd she go? As I dodge a candle <laughs> You ever say anything that you wish you'd get back? It's like, So God calls him to leave comfort. God Abraham goes despite comfort. And then verse 10, "There was a famine in the land. The gift of God was famine and a barren wife. So Abram went down to Egypt. Anyone ever run when the expectations weren't quite what you thought they would be? Point three. Abram runs to Egypt. He takes off to Egypt to seek comfort, to find it. He runs. It says that in verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When they, the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Let me, let me pause for a second, okay? I just said to you, she's 65 years old, okay? How many of you have read this text before and thought, this is like some teen model Miss USA? You're so beautiful, like super, like, okay. Now, mind you, it may seem like that in their day, because these people are living for like hundreds of years. But she's 65, Okay, She may have been gorgeous, strikingly beautiful, but she's no teenager. And i got to say that oftentimes we define everything by exactly what's right in front of us, the physical. They looked at things differently. And it is estimated, one commentator said, it was the character of Sarah that poured forth from her life that made her stand out amongst other women. And here's the thing. I believe that to be true because any woman who would be called to follow this guy from all this stuff that's probably true hello any woman who would we don't know of an argument yet If I'm sure there are probably some conversation but we don't know of an argument yet in scripture where she willingly where she doesn't willingly do it it says that she was beautiful they'll kill me so that you will live, please say you're my sister. So it will go well for me because of you, and my my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, it was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abraham well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks of herds of males, female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. That's again just servants, it's just employees. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with several plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she was my sister? So I took her as my wife. Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave the men orders about him and they sent them away with his wife and all that they had. Abram runs to Egypt to seek comfort. And as he enters, he lies. Now, I will say that during this day, it was wildly, um, it was admiring, it was admonishing for you to take your wife and to... Say she's your sister in faith, like to treat her in such a way there was like another level of respect that was very common and specifically in really rich households during this day. So you would think that it wouldn't it wouldn't be weird if that was a practice that was common, and it was. But that's not a faith move. How do we know it's not a faith move? Look, say you're my sister so they don't kill me. He responds in fear. He lies. And, and here's what I want to say before you go, well, if I lie, I'll get blessed. Look, thou shalt not lie. It's kind of a big deal. It's like right there under the 10. You know, like, so I don't think that God's like saying, here you go permissively. It's he's saying, look, I've asked you to do a lot. I'll have a little grace for this one. And I'm not saying that he's even pleased with it. God works in spite of it. How many of you God has worked in your life in spite of you? I don't want to be on the receiving of that. I've seen it. I would much rather join God in what he's doing. Canaan was often a land that was in famine though. So when they got there and saw the famine, that really wasn't much of a surprise. It would be new to Abram because he doesn't know the land. This is a place that is modern day Palestine that requires rain requires rainfall for foliage. It is estimated around the time that he found Canaan, that place had been in drought for 300 years. Okay? So it required foliage. And they knew that if they stayed, they would die. So he runs in fear to seek comfort. And he runs to Egypt, a place that was always lush. Why? Because it didn't require rainfall. It was annually and regularly flooded by the Nile so that everything around could grow. And so he goes there and gets in on a lie. How many of you have ever second guessed God's leading you? How many of you, when you second guess God's leading, it leads to like more sin? How many of you have ever told a lie and got caught, so it led to another lie, which led to another lie, which led to another lie? I'm going to ask. Hands raised. Okay, so we're not alone. All right, so like I respond in fear, not walk in faith. This is a, everything thus far has been huge. I walked in faith. When I got there, this is not a land flowing with milk and honey. We haven't even had that conversation yet. This is barren and my wife is barren and thus thanks God. God says, I'm about to bring fruit from the barren. And unless you've experienced this kind of stuff, you can't speak with faith to others who haven't. I said that I planted a church in the midst of no circumstantial adding up. The math didn't work. But it led me to be able to trust and follow in a way that I hadn't yet in my life. And it led me to a conversation with a couple that I would meet on said plant, in said new church, whom they'd been through everything, and all the doctors had told them it can't happen. I'm sorry. It's just not in the cards. If you want a family, look in other ways. Look at other alternatives, but it's not going to happen naturally. And here's the deal. I don't want to build any false hope in any one person, but one night as they shared their story with me, I just felt like the Lord was telling me to tell them. I know that it it hasn't worked yet, and I know that all the experts have said it's not going to work. And I don't want to be the liar in your life. And I don't want to build false hope in you, but here's the truth. I can't get away from the fact that I think God wants me to tell you He's about to open your womb. I can't get away from the fact that I think that God is about to open the barren womb and give you a child. Now, the gift of children was huge in this day, in this ancient world, but I, I probably would have never learned how huge until you look into the eyes of parents who desperately want to be parents. People who want to have children but cannot naturally. And, and they, they are so hungry for that. And God tells you to tell them it's going to happen. And you go, I don't want to break their hearts. I don't want to be used in an opposite direction. And it wasn't immediate. But when a few years, that couple that I was able to say that to, gave birth to a son. And he's in our nursery today. Listen. It doesn't always make sense. But is God God? Is God faithful when you are not? Abram lied and God still gave him stuff to go back and survive a barren land. God is faithful when we are not. And he calls fruit from the barren. This is now, today, one of the most lush portions of the world. And we've been fighting over it ever since the day of Abraham. But it wasn't pretty when he got there. In fact, I'm I'm not going to read this today. I'm going to tell you to go back and read it. The study is great for yourself. Read in chapter 13 how he has to separate from his nephew Lot because they're not going to be able to feed their families if they stay there. But I am going to jump Ahead as God leads him out of Egypt and back to the land to this one verse in verse 14 of chapter 13. This is just one passage. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look from the place where you are. Look north, look south, east and west. I will give you and your offspring forever this land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land. Know its length, its width, for I'm giving it to you. Walk around. Get to know the promise and the gift that I'm giving you. Know it from the east, west, south to north. Know this land like, like Adam knew Eve. Like Yedah is that Hebrew word. Like he knew her inside and out. The gift that God had given Adam. He said, know her. And love her and enjoy her. Enjoy the land I'm giving you because it will become. Right now, it doesn't look like that picture, but I'm doing something. Wait on me. Trust me. And our fourth point God is telling Abram to survey the land because he's trying to teach Abram that in the end, I alone am your comfort. I alone. I'm it. I am sovereign over all things. I will sustain you. I will gift you. I alone am your comfort. When it does not make sense, you've run already. I want you to learn from that. That wasn't good. When it does not make sense, don't run. I don't need your help. When it doesn't make sense and circumstantially the waves are too big and everything around you looks like there's no life... I don't need you to interpret what I'm telling you, and I don't need you to help me do what I'm about to do. What I need you to do is walk with me through this, one step at a time, survey everything that I've given you, and I need you to wait on me to bring it to pass, because I've never not brought it to pass. Hello? I need you to commit to be in this land, the place that I'm giving you. I need you to commit to trust that I'm going to open your wife's womb and you won't even be able to count your descendants. I don't need your help. I just need you to wait on me. Hello? I need you to walk with me. I need to become your destination more than anything else in this life. I want you to want me, not just what I can give you. But I'm about to give you everything you left tenfold, a hundredfold. I'm about to give you everything that you left, a people, a place, a land, and I'm going to be your God. But I alone will be your comfort. Walking with God often means waiting on God and not everything that you expected is actually what God expects. He will use all things for the good of those who love Him. But a lot of our journey in Him is blindly trusting Him. Because circumstances, well, I'm going to tell you, they just don't always add up. I can say with full confidence that the only reason the church that I was called to plant exists is because God wanted it to. And when nothing made sense... He came through, and because he met us at every turn, no matter what obstacle came, it only gave opportunity for me to trust him more and for him to prove himself and receive glory, and it gives you confidence that you're hearing from the Lord, and you can share what the Lord is saying to those who are completely uncertain, and the circumstances are just as barren as what you've experienced. So what am I saying? Failure is a great teacher, and pain is a part of life. But we have to learn tr- to trust God despite our circumstances and through all the pain and when we wait and when we walk we will see God bring fruit from the barren. Hello? When was the last time God spoke to you clearly? Were you obedient to do everything he said? When was the last God time God spoke to you clearly? Were you obedient to wait on him? Were you willing and obedient to walk with Him and to wait on Him despite the barrenness surrounding you? This morning, I believe that God is faithful even when we're not. I believe that if we will go back to that place where God last spoke to us and we clearly heard and we'll evaluate whether we were obedient or we did it His way, we'll see We'll see our missteps and we can learn from them. We may have experienced some pain in them, but it will teach us to walk further. I believe that when we come to the table and we go, God, thank you that you're faithful and I'm doing this in remembrance of you and your faithfulness. You don't have to prove anything to me. You've already proven it. I'll follow you. Thank you for letting me even when I'm unfaithful. Because God, I've watched you bring fruit from the barren. I'm repenting of my disobedience. I'm repenting of my lack of faith. I'm repenting of my fear. And I'm repenting. I'm repenting of my lack of weight and trust.